Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So the Onyx feature that I want to talk about on today's episode has to do with filtering waypoints. So within the Hunt app, you're able to pull up and filter your content by the waypoint type. So for example, right now during turkey season, I just want to go back and look at all of the areas where I had found either turkey signs or turkey. So I'm going to go and filter, click on the, the waypoint type and choose just the turkey and the roosting icons and be able to look at the map. By doing that, I'm able to get rid of all the additional clutter and just focus on the waypoints that I need to scout for right now. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, you can head over to onyxmaps.com. Use the coupon code EMW. That will save yourself 20% off of the Hunt app. University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. And there is a total of 17 different modules now that they have to be able to learn all the different things of hunting elk. One of my favorite modules is the module on common elk hunting challenges. So, you know, outside the realm of your standard struggles that are involved with elk hunting, there are a few common challenges that seem to turn into really stumbling blocks rather quickly. These frustrations can often have factors that are out of your own control, and it's really easy just to throw your hands up and feel like there's nothing we can do about it. So, however... Corey and uh, and the rest of the people here at Elk 101 have looked at all those things, look at what we can control, other hunters, mother nature, or the elk, you know, things, and look at the things we can control, and it's how we react, and that's the key part. This module really goes into those common challenges and breaks it down so that you don't make those common mistakes that others do. If you head over to elk101.com, Click on the University of Elk Hunting and want to give it a try. Use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST. That'll save yourself 20% off of a one-year membership. And lastly, Tethered. So Tethered evolved from really a burn and desire to provide quality gear and resources to the saddle hunting community because the community is really small niche and they're of the, you know, the greater hunting industry. And the availability of saddle-specific gear and innovation was severely lacking. So Tethered solved this problem by designing, engineering, and producing the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevating hunting gear on the planet. So if you're interested in checking out the lightest, least bulky, most versatile, safest elevated hunting system in the world, then head over to tetherednation.com and check that out. And check out all the different products they have available have any questions on my experience with saddle hunting, feel free to reach out and, and talk to me about it. I'd love to uh, be able to answer your questions. All right, so just this Saturday was the opening day of turkey season here in Pennsylvania. So I went out and it was a beautiful morning and went out in the in first thing in the morning with my uncle and we got on two birds right away that were in the roost that uh, we'd heard the night before and set up 
with everything seemed perfect well actually not exactly we we blew out a couple hens roosted in the tree um as we got in but that proved to be okay for us because we knew that's where the that the gobblers wanted to go to and they were down along the ridge on they were uh, roosted up on a bench a little bit down further so i didn't think we spooked them we set up basically right there and the two gobblers started firing off uh, they flew down. You could hear them fly down, gobbling their faces off, and and it seemed like they were coming in on a string and very very fast. And they ended up circling around us like 270 degrees. And at one point, we were probably only 40 or 50 yards. I just couldn't see them. Uh, it was a little bit thick in that spot. So they went out and around, and as they were coming around the other side. We heard what you know sounded like a hen or a call, and looked up, and there was another guy that had moved in on us. And then the, those gobblers shut up, and most likely were spooked at that point. So that kind of ended that part. And then I just I took off by myself and ended up covering almost ten miles um, before noon, since we can only hunt till noon the first half of the season. And I uh, never heard another bird, never saw another bird. Um, saw a nice buck that that had some antlers coming up already and, and feeding a logging cut at noon um, on my way out so that was that was exciting it was it was a good good hike to go on like I said beautiful day and weekend there so gonna keep after it and uh, just went out before work this morning and we'll continue to to do so to see what uh, see what I can turn up here hopefully soon. Also, the Mountain Buck Scouting Series, uh, the YouTube videos this week, part four comes out of the five-part series. Last week was all about timber cuts, um, You know how I hunt those timber cuts, why you should hunt them, the different ages, breaking them down, food and bedding, and, and also uh, put out an article that I'd written for Peterson's bow hunting that they released online now about that topic. And, um, so a bunch of resources on timber cuts. Well, this week, the episode is on hunting crick bottoms during the rut. And I'm not talking about big river bottoms. I'm talking about crick bottoms, feeder streams, small, smaller streams and cricks that, you know, eventually lead to a, a bigger body of water or bigger crick. So these areas are some of my favorite to hunt. Uh, I've probably killed more bucks and creek bottoms than anywhere else. Uh, that kind of sounds a little bit uh, backwards from what you tend to hear in other places. And, you know, everyone's got their own thoughts and experiences on them. But for me, depending on the right situation, creek bottoms, I think, can be really, really helpful and really beneficial and are not just for nocturnal activity. So I'd... Uh, I'd really think that uh, this one's an interesting one it's about a 10 minute video you can check it out i run through a couple different scenarios ones where i've actually killed bucks out of and explain the the details of crick bottoms what to learn, look for on onyx and you know kind of how to set up with it the way the thermals work and why it can be difficult to hunt them but how to kind of combat that and all the differences that all the things that go into hunting crick bottoms so that video will be out tomorrow, which would be Wednesday, the 6th. So Wednesday, May 6th, that'll come out. And yeah, definitely check that out. All right, on today's episode, I have on 
one of my favorite guests that uh, I haven't recorded with for over a year now, almost a year and a half, John Barklow. So John is coming on here for the third time, uh, just an absolute wealth of knowledge on things. And John has now put up a website called johnbarklowusa.com where he's spilling a lot of his knowledge um, social media account. We talk about that here and it's it's really cool to see him be able to get that information out on a larger scale. And I was lucky enough to be able to talk to him here. This is a two-part uh, episode. So um, this episode, we're going to have the first part of the conversation where we talk about a whole bunch of things when it comes to being pre- prepared for unforeseen weather conditions, the knowledge learned from you know, surviving these storms and moisture management, utilizing your body as a primary heat source, testing your gear. And then the next episode, which will come out this Thursday, so I'm releasing two this week, will be on Sika's 2020 Big Game Line, which just launched yesterday. If uh, you might have seen that, we're going to talk through all the details of this. So super excited about that. So check those out. Um, these episodes, um, I'm really happy to have John back on. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. If you like the podcast, please give it a, a five-star rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I guess as it's called now. I would uh, greatly appreciate it. Have a good week. All right, tonight I'm joined on the line once again from good friend of mine out in Montana, John Barklow. What's going on, man? How's it going, Bo? Montana's opening back up for business, so um, I don't know about PA, but we're getting back on our feet out here. I'm ready to go chase some bears. Yeah, we uh, we still have a little bit here. I think May 8th is our um, date when we're allowed to supposed to leave the house and stuff. I've been still working full-time and going – to the office and everything, but so it hasn't changed a whole lot for me, but, uh, it's been, it's been a weird time. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, if we're working, we're the lucky ones is how I see it. So yep. no, I, I, I completely agree. What's it going to be like for you getting back in the office after working from home for a little while? <laughs> Boy, I don't know. I, I hope nobody from, from my office listens to this, but, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't need to go back to the office. I'm like, I've been practicing social distancing my whole life. And so uh, I'm actually realizing that I really like working from home. Um, I don't want to go back five days a week. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be rough for me. Like I'm I'm so much more productive because, you know, I'm up at whatever five in the morning. So I sit down in front of the computer and start working. I wouldn't do that on a normal day when I was going to the office. So. Um, yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm learning about all these different, you know, zoom and ringer and all these different platforms and Skype. So I'm learning, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. Yeah, that's good. It's, it is a weird, I don't think I've used video chat so much. I mean, even though I'm going to the office for most of my stuff, like even though I'm in the office, we still don't have any meetings together. So we're doing video like even though someone could be two offices over or whatever it is it's just so it's, it's a weird time but yeah definitely getting used to learning all these video platforms and i you know i've been using them for 
podcast for a while now, but never really utilized the the video feature more or less just calls. And to me, it's easier to be able to see somebody to talk rather than over, yeah. the, over the phone. But yeah. And we're just, you know, we're just lucky that one, we can conduct business like that for the most part. And two, that we have these platforms to do it. Cause if we didn't, man, it'd be a totally different story, you know, and I know not everybody can do that with their, with their line of work, but it is amazing what the technology has allowed us to do. Yeah, no, that's, that's for sure. So you think, so you're going to get out bear hunting then? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I went out looking, I went out looking the other weekend. It's a little early still here. There's quite a bit of snow in the mountains. Um, although they open at April 15th, generally I don't even go till after the first of May. So it, it'll be fine. So I think this next weekend, me and another guy will go out and start looking. And uh, a couple guys from the office have already got, you know, shot a few turkeys. So I, I, it's not that I dislike turkey hunting by any means, but I'd, I'd rather go bear hunting if I had the choice. Yeah. So um, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I know there's a couple moving around already, but it'll just get better and better as and and the weather's warming up, so it'll just get better and better in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and depending on what part of Montana you can go till, um, I think you can go to June fifteenth in parts of the state. So we have quite a bit of time. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I uh, I I had never been spring bear hunting, but it's one of those things that I really want to do. It just hasn't been on the priority list. Take vacation to do it, uh, over elk hunting and some of the other things up to this point. But I, I definitely want to make that happen. Well, you know, and I, I know we'll talk about this at some point, but what I tell people about the spring hunts and especially spring bear hunts is one, especially say if you're coming from back East, like you, it's a great place or it's a great time of year to take a place you've looked at and researched all winter on Onyx or Google Earth or whatever. It's a great time if you have the opportunity, the vacation to get out here, put boots on the ground, look at some of that elk ground with the opportunity of maybe, you know, harvesting a bear um, and just seeing if what you've been looking at virtually is the way it lines up. And the other part that I think is really cool about spring is this is the time to start trying out any new gear you bought over the winter, uh, any new techniques you want to try breaking in a pair of boots or a backpack. Like, again, I understand that you have to travel a lot farther than me, although you guys have black bear in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. Just no spring bear season. Oh, just no spring bear. Okay. I got you. Yeah. We have so, a ton of black oh, bears, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all. Oh, I never really got to hunt spring bear until, uh, I'm trying to think, well, I don't know if it was when I was living in Alaska. I know, I know the first one I hunted was in Alaska. I just don't know if I was living there at the time, but anyway, spring's just a good time to get out and start putting some of these things to, to some use. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I, I've had a couple buddies that have traveled out there and did it and had a blast. They said, it's so fun. It kind of breaks up the, you know, the, after the winter and, you know, kind of get you outside, getting you in the hunting mood again before you get a little bit of a break in the summer and then back to, you know, the, the fall. But that's, yeah, that's something I definitely want to, want to try here at some point. 
But um, anyway, so John, before we get d- dive into this here, you've been on the podcast twice before. You came on and we talked about uh, clothing layering systems and how they work and how moisture management works in building throughout the system. And then you've also came on and talked to me a little bit about elk hunting and some of Sika's offerings from 2019 that had came out. And and so in this episode, I wanted to, to bring you back first to give a little introduction to yourself um, and then what uh, what you've been working on. Yeah, so people that haven't uh, listened before, I'm the big game product manager at Sika Gear, which means... I manage all the product for Sitka in relation to big game. I work with designers, um, the athletes, the marketing team to basically take ideas wherever we get them from, turn them into reality, and then get them out in the marketplace, right? So we're getting ready to launch, you know, like I told you, we're getting ready to launch uh, some new product here in a couple weeks. So right now it's uh, April 28th so probably by may 4th that week we'll be launching some new 2020 big game products uh you know and i mean all, the the three products we have they've all been being worked on for three years now so it takes a while to bring stuff to market it's kind of an exciting time of year because you do get to see all that work kind of come to come to fruition um yeah so we can talk about what those products are um, if you want uh, now or later, but um, but yeah, they're they're cool. I'm excited about them, and we've started to tease them a little bit on social. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people will continue to see more and more of that roll out. Yeah, let's we'll we'll cover. We'll, I'll ask you some questions about the 2020 line, maybe towards the end of this episode. Probably do it even as a separate little uh, piece here. We'll see how how it flows, but. Um, I, I think it's, what was cool I saw the other day was Sika came out with a little film that, that you were in, or I saw it on Instagram. Was it, what was it called? Behind the design or something along yeah. those lines. Super yeah. cool video getting it put together. I mean, I've got to experience it from knowing you for about five years now and working with Chris a lot and stuff, just seeing the the progression of how long it takes for a product to to hit the market and all of the crazy testing that goes behind it. I mean, I've known it from, again, talking to you, but in the last three years working with Chris on a specific product, it's been so cool to see what it started out with and what it looks like now as it's going to to market. It's crazy. It, it is a crazy process. It's long. There's a lot of people involved. You know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm the lucky one that gets to, stand in front of people and, and kind of get the credit, but the credit is not due to me. I mean, and that's what I liked about that video is it showed a lot of behind the scenes, like the testing and, you know, some of the people that involved that, you know, nobody ever gets to see or, or know about, um, they're critical to helping us do what we do at the level to which we do it. Yeah. I've, I've got to, since the last time we've talked, I think I got to hunt with uh, Eric Gilmore, who's the mind behind a lot oh, yeah. of this. Stuff. He he is he, one. He's a blast to to hang around, but two, just like watching him just take things and cutting them up while we're on the hunt and trying this out and changing things, and it's just it's a funny. I mean, it's it's cool to watch. Yeah, he's got a curious mind, 
and he is literally a world-class talent. Like what he does and, and how he does it and the level to which he does it. Like I like to say Eric's, Eric makes me look better than I am. So uh, I just don't want to tell him that because he might get a big head and yeah. But uh, I've told him that. But yeah, I, yeah. I you gotta you gotta watch his his head. He has a, he he sent me some smart ass comment on Instagram today, and uh, I was just laughing at him. But <laughs> he's making making fun of my my crow calling with my mouth for turkeys and and oh. uh, so he's he's always a blast to to talk to and like you said super smart just getting to see you get to work with them all the time but from my standpoint just seeing the the product testing and as he's cutting up different layers have four different camos stitched together and all this it's 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 really cool but um anyways before so instead of going into product right now i want to also talk about a little bit uh your own kind of adventure that you're working on here launch by the time this goes out you'll have a a website launched. I'm going to put you on a spot, so you better make sure you have it launched. But uh, so, what are you what are you kind of doing with uh, putting out some information? Yeah, so I've had a Instagram account for five years or so, and uh, you know, I've only posted one photo at a time. I, I've just kind of made fun of it, really. I mean, I get on there because I I love following everybody else, but I figured nobody really wanted to know or care what I was doing. So anyways, I'd post a picture of me and my cat. And then before I post another picture, I take the first one down. Anyways, um, you know, with my background, which we can get into at some point, but, uh, I, I just realized that I had a lot of information in my head that I think people could find really valuable. Um, you know, I've had some unique experiences that, you know, very few people have the the collective um, experience. So four weeks ago, I think today, today was the first day I put my fourth post up today. Um, so a month ago, I guess I started, but it's basically an educational platform on Instagram, which is J at J Barclow. Um, but then I decided that Instagram is not a great place to do long format. And so I like to be a little long winded. I like I really want people to understand why things work because then they're able to take that and depending on the scenario and how it shifts and where they find themselves, if they understand why things work, then they can apply them to their specific, um, their specific situation. So, uh, by the time this launches, cause I'm, I'm, if it doesn't launch tomorrow, it'll launch the next day, but it, I started a, a website called John Barklow USA.com. Uh, and on there is, is a, my blog, which is called knowledge from storms and knowledge from storms is basically me sharing, um, some of my stories and my experiences, and then trying to take experiences from those stories and educate. So as an example, uh, today's post was about moisture management. I referenced a sheep, a solo sheep hunt I was on in the Brooks range. And although that blog post is relatively short or uh, the IG post is relatively short because it needs to be on the blog, I can go a lot deeper, provide a lot more context and, and details. And so I just want to kind of bring people along. And, you know, if people jump in six months from now, if they go back and start reading from the beginning, I hope it reads 
where they can just start building on, uh, you know, the proper foundation to kind of educate people to, you know, get wherever they want to go. Um, it, it's not, you know, how to hunt. It's basically, you know, how do I go out in the mountains or how do I go out in the field and, you know, have this great experience and, and be efficient at it is really what it's about. Yeah. More of a, is a kind of a cliche way of saying it, but thriving rather than just surviving in those type of environments. I mean, yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully you never get to the quote survival, uh, situation. You're just more, you're more thriving. You know, I like to say that I want to leave the mountains on my own terms and not the mountains terms. And so, you know, again, with the military background where that was really not an option to leave when you wanted to leave or when you had to leave, but when you wanted to leave. So, um, yeah, so I'm really excited about it. We'll see how it goes. I've, I've been enjoying the process. I've learned a ton. Um, I, like I said, I put that post up today. I think I'm going to follow it up tomorrow with a short video I shot in the field. Um, that just kind of reiterates some of the, the highlights about moisture management. Cause you know, the, you say it different, different ways, different people interpret it and kind of take it on board. So I think it's good. These are foundational kind of points that I'm starting with that, you, you know, if you jump in six months from now, you may not understand if you don't kind of go back and start from the beginning. Yeah, I, I like that way of that that long form kind of or foundational building of the of your platform. Like you said, you can start at the beginning, and you're not just you know jumping in and not sure where to start or get that that real. I guess the base with it, and you know, and that's and that's where um, it's an interesting way that you're doing that. I, I I've been trying to kind of do that with the the podcast and everything. I started out with my beginning episodes were more talking about the adventure of going out west and the you know the baseline of that and really kind of breaking down the the basics. And then as I've gone along, it's gotten more detailed and more in depth on certain topics. And I think it it was it wasn't really ex- extremely that intentional. I'm not going to tell you that I'm that smart to think like that, but it was more of my own self building. I guess, knowledge or knowing how to ask people deeper questions is I learned more throughout the process of interviewing and just with a little bit of experience. And it's, it's cool to, I I think it, it helps out by being able to follow along kind of along those lines. But I'm, I'm excited to see like some of your, your stuff about, um, you know, the, the facts with, you know, moisture management and stuff. I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there now that, um, I don't know a good way of putting it, but isn't necessarily all facts based in a lot of marketing type materials. So I think that it'll be interesting to be able to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the point. I mean, cause I taught for so long, it just made sense to me. You know, I'm kind of a, I don't know, like right here, like I literally just I just wrote a lesson plan. Like I wrote a lesson plan for the first six months of what I, you know, progressively what I thought these points built upon one another to get people to the point where, you know, if, if, if somebody jumps in and they don't understand a fundamental point, I can, I can say, well, if you go back and reference this and kind of read that and, you know, maybe that's a little bit naive on my part to think people are going to do that, but it, it makes me feel better that I'm, that I'm doing that. And so, yeah, 
is I bring people along, um, you know, hopefully they, they kind of see the progression and I, you know, I get questions and people want to jump ahead. I get that. I understand that. I don't necessarily want to, um, want to turn that off, but I also, I'm not going to go super deep in certain things. If people want to go, I'm on step one. If people want to go to step 10, um, you know, some of, depending on the questions, I may just tell them, Hey, you're going to have to wait. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. And so give a little bit of a, a background. I know, and people can go back and listen to, you know, some of your background on this, on my podcast and others that you've talked about, but give a little bit of a base on how you've gained all this knowledge, I guess, through the years. And as you put it, you know, knowledge by storms, I- explain a little bit of your, your past history. Yeah. So I spent uh, 26 years with the Navy and I don't know, 15 or so 15 years of that for sure ish somewhere along those lines. You know, I, I taught basically special operations forces, how to live, you know, basically in the mountains unsupported. Um, and not just the skills and techniques required to do that, Um, and I'm not talking, I'm not even talking about the military skills. I'm talking about like basic living skills in the mountains, just like a hunter would do on a backpack hunt. Um, but we were also able to work on the development of the clothing and the equipment. So, you know, sleeping bags, tents, stoves, et cetera. You know, we work with some of the best companies in the outdoor industry, um, but then, you know, on my own, I would also go out and hunt. And then I was a, you know, real prolific uh, climber and skier as well. So, you know, I was able to try all these things. I could see what the students would do with a lesson plan, you know, how it was delivered, whatever technique we were trying to use to convey a thought, how they digested that and the outcome of that. And then we were able to go back and tweak that and come back and try to do it more effectively the next time. So, just a really interesting feedback loop. Um, did that for a very long time. And then, you know, for the last five years now, I've been with Sika Gear, like I said, driving this big game program. So trying to basically bring all those learnings. Um, I mean, they had a great platform already, Sitka did, but basically just trying to bring those learnings into, you know, tweaking these systems and keeping them updated with the latest technologies. And, and so, you know, with this, kind of platform I've got. I just, I just realized that it was unique enough that people would probably find some value. And so, yeah, anyways, that's my background. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's funny. So John and I's, uh, I guess, again, relationship when I met him five years ago or so at the ATA show now, it, um, I, I was just blown away by once I started learning about how systems worked and the moisture management and everything that went into that. And, and he, and through this process, you know, you've taught me a lot. And at the time it was for, to help put people into systems when I was working for an archery shop that, that I was selling sick of gear at and trying to help people learn what was the right system for them and how to build it out. And then it turned into me trying to do some of my own product testing just because I wanted to learn it where I, I did a, a mock of the, the rewarming drill and some other different things there that, uh, that just, I don't know, as, as Chris calls me as Guinea pig for things. If he wants 
something uh if he wants something that's gonna be kind of painful to try out he usually tells me like when we were in the bow zone and he's like i want to see what the lowest temperature we can run the strata system is so but will you will you not wear the you know the fanatic will you try this out i'm like geez you know here here we go <laughs> but anyways it's put it's taking me down a rabbit hole of like just playing around with different things and and that a lot of that was what i'm getting at was learning that from you um and just kind of love tinkering with it and seeing how how that works but what i wanted uh, to talk about here is you had in that instagram post today you were talking about that hunt in the brooks range and as a sheep hunt to so talk a little bit kind of tell the story of that hunt and some of the things that happened uh to you there and I, then i, I kind of want to pick it apart a little bit yeah so um basically the the hunt was a a solo sheep hunt on the north side of the Brooks range. And so if people aren't familiar, that is a mountain range. I believe it's approximately 200 miles above the Arctic circle. Um, so I think you're going to go caribou hunting. My guess would be north of, you know, in the same general area. Yep. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be just outside the, the I think the more of the Southern end of the Brooks range. Yep. So, you know, very remote, um, snow all times a year, very dynamic weather. Um, so anyways, I, I went up there and, uh, hiked in the day, the day I hiked in was great as they often are. And then, um, you know, the weather came in and so the weather was very, you know, to me it's, it was probably, I I would either rather have it warm or really cold. Um, and if I had to choose between those two, I would pick really cold. So I like to say that living in the cold weather is easy living because very few things are wet. It's a very dry environment. So, you know, your clothing tends to, to dry out relatively quick. Um, I always seem to be able to put something on to stay warm, but in this case it was, you know, that, high thirties to low forties with a really high dew point, um, really foggy and misty rain. And when you live in that kind of environment, you're just always wet and clammy and you're just constantly having to try to, you know, you're going to get wet and you just have to have a system and the knowledge to go, well, I'm going to go get wet. And when I get back in my tent at night, I'm going to dry out. And you're just going to do this every single day. It's going to be like Groundhog Day. And so the the point of moisture management or the point of the post today is, listen, you're going to get wet no matter what. And a lot of these clothing systems, I can't speak for all of them, but, you know, these clothing systems today are really not intended to keep you dry as much as they are to dry as quickly as possible, because the reality is you can't, you can't necessarily stay dry. So, um, if I'm hiking up a mountain, I'm going to get a little perspired, even if I try to regulate my pace, right. Or, um, I could fall in a Creek or I get trapped out away from my pack during a thunderstorm. Or let's say I leave the tent and I'm wearing my rain gear, but it's this, you know, humid, damp environment. Um, no matter what rain gear you have, as you begin to move around and hike, you're just going to get sweated up and you're going to get a little damp. So you have to constantly be 
be figuring out how to how to you know dry yourself out. And the reason that's important is um, you want to you want to regulate your temperature. So that's that's best when your when your skin is dry. That's why a base layer is so critical because that moves moisture away from your skin. Um, you're going to be able to think more, to think better. Your cognitive function is going to be better. Um, if you regulate your moisture, especially for movement, you're going to stay better hydrated. So there's lots of fundamental things that, that you have to do. Um, and that environment is, is the worst because, um, there's a lot of equilibrium between the moisture and temperature inside your clothing and the moisture and temperature outside your clothing. So there's not a lot of movement going back and forth either in or out. Um, so I, the reason I think that hunt was was a good example to use is because every day I would go get damp and wet from multiple different sources. And then every night I would climb inside my tent and I would go through the process of drying out and I'd be dry in a relatively short amount of time. And my system did that for, you know, day in and day out for I, I, I don't know if the hunt it was a 10 day hunt. I don't know if it was, so basically say 10 days. I don't know if I came on a day nine or, or 10 and anymore, but, um, but, 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 but multiple days. Right. And I think that's just the reality of backcountry living. Um, unless you're going to leave and go home every time the weather turns bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, those uh, I've learned just from my limited experience hunting the mountains, the, the type of storms that come out of absolute nowhere and and again the same thing with you know you're you're hiking up uh, the mountain and it's, it's raining and you start creating some heat and you're gonna even though your system's working it's breathing you're still gonna get hot you're still gonna get a little sweaty as things you know go and you're all it's always a constant back and forth of having moisture releasing it drying doing the whole thing cooking it dry at the end of the night and uh, it's yeah that's I don't know it's just for, for me that was one of the things that that uh, I've really paid attention to, especially on the the backpack hunts where I can't come back and dry myself out in a, um, I guess in a traditional way of, of, you know, changing clothes or doing anything, uh, you know, along those lines. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, people, you know, people who haven't been out West don't realize that, yeah, those storms, cause you're in the mountains, you don't necessarily depending on which direction you can see, you don't necessarily see them coming your way and they can roll over the top. And depending on, you know, the elevation you're at, um, it's not just rain, but you could have snow in the middle of summer. And I, I would say the, the liberating feeling or the freedom that, that you feel when I'm not saying you want to get stuck out in a storm, but I'm just saying in general that, okay, if I get a little damp, I get a little wet it's not the end of the world and that I know if I climb back in my tent or however you're set up and whatever the environmental conditions that I can dry myself out that that's a big confidence booster for people to be out there and go yeah I'm eight miles from the truck and there's a big snowstorm rolling in and I'm going to be fine like I'm going to be okay because now mind you this is assuming that you've you know taken some key principles and and applied them in, you know, acquiring the proper gear, um, and using it, you know, and generally the, 
the proper way. Yeah. Um, so, okay, yeah, I, I can think of a scenario where, again, where you said the storms pop up out of nowhere and it come over the mountain. I was hunting. I was right around like 11,000 feet in Colorado. And and I I was heading back to where I had base camp set up that was up just around tree line. And I was coming back from down this one valley, got up to the top and realized I needed water for dinner that night and to fill up my bladder. So I had to drop elevation again to get to this little lake. And I was like, I don't need to carry all my stuff down there. So I emptied out everything and just took my bladder and light backpack. I mean, I took everything out, including my rain gear, which was a terrible idea. But I uh, literally dropped down in there. I was filling up. And I was only gone. It only took me 15 minutes to get down. And it started just hailing and going through some really nasty weather. It just, again, came out of nowhere. I was soaked right to the bone. And then as I started hiking, started warming myself up and climbed into my sleeping bag at the end uh, there as I was firing up my jet boil to cook up some food and, you know, eventually kind of cooked, cooked myself dry, which there was a few things that made it take a little bit longer than uh, normal. And one of them was my, I was using a, a floorless shelter and I didn't, I, I want to say that I probably didn't have the the skills or knowledge of setting it up really great for wind. And uh, as it was getting really bad with wind and stuff, it was blowing on and it started sagging and having condensation. Everything was just soaked on the inside. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, eventually it, it dried out, but it was uh, it was a, a process um, when it came to it. But basically I was just saying that those storms just came out of absolutely nowhere. And it's, and, you know, it's, gives you a lot more confidence when those come up and you don't kind of go into a, a a panic when you, when you have a kind of a plan for it or understand how to, how to get through them. Well, so this is a great case study, Bo, because one, it's one that you've lived through recently Two, because of the environment. So a lot of people would think Colorado at 11,000 feet in what was that September? Yeah you know, that it's a dry, arid environment and you're going to be just fine. And it's ridiculous to think that you're going to get wet by mistake. Like, how could you not see a storm coming? And, you know, I I wouldn't say you made a classic mistake. I would just say that there's a lot of dynamics and factors that go on to moving around in the mountains. And, you know, I made that mistake a ton of times and I'm sure I'll make it a few more times because I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll be right back to my to my pack. Right. And then that storm rolls over the top. Um, but you know, if you don't, if you want, if you don't know that you have the right stuff and you can dry Two, I would argue that if you haven't been in that place to exercise your system that, you know, we've talked about, um, that you can panic and that's not the time to panic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think, okay, well now I'm in my shelter I should be dry. And then in the case that you're talking about, like, you know, winds blowing, potentially rain up under the floorless shelter and or condensations building up. So, you know, again, there's multiple, multiple sources of moisture that cause your gear to get wet. And so this is why it's critical that people understand, you know, what moisture management is. It's not it's almost it's a thing you do. But I think more importantly, it's a way you think. Because if you think about moisture management, 
then I think that you look at, you can see it in everything you do and, and every piece of kit you have. And, uh, and once you understand that, I mean, believe me, it's not like I, I'm actually the worst. Like I don't like getting wet. Right. Like I was in the Navy for 26 years. Like I hate getting wet. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm so passionate about trying <laughs> out, but, um, but you know, this is where people can make a mistake. And, and if they don't have the right piece of kit, like on your hunt is not the time to learn a lesson that you brought the wrong stuff and it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, because at a minimum your hunt's ruined at least for a couple of days and you got to bail down to the truck. And at worst case, you know, you set yourself up and you could be in a survival situation with, you know, hypothermia or, or something along those lines, it just kind of debilitates you. And then you become either a statistic or somebody has to come rescue you, you know? And so all those things can be avoided, um, with, with understanding some of these principles of, of what moisture management is and, and how these clothing systems are supposed to work. Yeah. Um, it's what's, and, and another key piece, I guess, to that. So later that night, things kind of calmed down. I was in my tent and, and winds picked up in that rain that, you know, everything was wet because it rained turned to snow overnight and the winds were blowing terribly and my stakes started pulling out of the ground because I didn't have rocks on top of them. Another lesson I learned. And I also bought stakes, four of them that screw in just to, <laughs> I'm not doing that again. But uh, anyway, so it starts pulling up and you got, and it took all of the condensation that was in that single wall tent and just just drown it felt like it was just pouring down rain i was in there my it was it was yeah my dad was on the other side laying there we were just soaked right down to the bone and and one piece which um is something that I, i'm probably going to be changing out here before i go to alaska because of the situation was my sleeping bag even though it was a treated down bag it clumped up and had some problems drying and just I still created enough body heat in there. I dried out my clothes, but this the bag took forever to 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 be able to dry out. And there was just there's a lot of things like everything inside that tent was soaked and and uh, it was it was a, a little bit of an, an issue. If luckily, like I said, I, I I felt like I we kept a kind of a level headed there and were able to be okay out of it. Yeah. So what's, what's, this is, I mean, your case studies better than mine. Cause you know, I've been there and you've been there cause it's your story. So I can relate. And, and these are great points because people think, well, if I just go to my shelter, I'll be, I'll be fine. Right. Not necessarily. And so, you know, the shelter you picked, which is not necessarily a bad choice by any means, but you have to understand the limitations of a shelter like that, because when it's, when there's driving winds and precipitation, you can't really ventilate a shelter like that very well. So what's, what's the, the end product is you get a lot of condensation buildup. Then of course the wind shakes the tent, that condensation falls. So literally it is raining on you. Um, and so it's just going to be this vicious cycle because as you dry out, it's going to push it up. It's going to make more condensation. Yep. And so the only way to get out of that is for the weather to change. And you know, you, you mentioned the treated down and I'll, I'll just, I'll just make a general comment and cautionary tale that this is why I feel that it's important for people to test their system. Now, 
if, if people know or not, and I don't want to get into it on this podcast, but I'll just say that I do not condone people doing the rewarming drill that you and I did because it's fairly extreme, right? And I think there's great ways to do that without potentially putting people in, you know, harm's way of drowning or getting hypothermia. Um, you know, one of which is just do it in your backyard and two, just, you know, get your stuff damp with a, with a hose or, you know, a bucket of water or something. But, but, you know, I, I consider a sleeping bag a sanctuary. So it is, it is one of my, for, for warmth, it's my last layer of my clothing system. It's my last line of defense. It's my sanctuary from the cold. It's a place that I cuddle up and, you know, have pity on myself if I need to at night. Um, and so I don't want that to be compromised. And I've been there where treated down does exactly like you said. And I think it's got its place for sure. But in an environment like that, there are definitely chinks in the armor of that product. And, and, and there, and there aren't a lot of different things. My only point is it's important for you to understand that. So mm -hmm. if, if that took you by surprise, that could have been the surprise that, that pushed it from being a you know, maybe a miserable night to a potentially life threatening night. Right. Yep. Or if you couldn't get out of the field and you had to stay there for three more nights and the weather stayed like that. Um, it's really important for people to understand, you know, and, and most importantly down under compression clumps, no matter if it's treated or not, like it just, it does. Um, but you know, the other key point that, that, you know, you and I are kind of glossing over and it was a post I put up, I think two weeks ago was, you know, your body is the primary heat source. So, you know, you, you said you had a jet boil, I think, and yep. you certainly could have run a jet boil in your tent for a little while to generate a little heat that, that particular stove doesn't generate a, a tremendous amount of heat. Um, and certainly if there's wind and a breeze going through the tent, then it strips away a lot of that, but you only have so much fuel. And so, you know, it, it's, it's this balancing act that you have to do. So what's your primary heat source? What's the thing that you carry with you all the time? And it's your body. Um, and so if you have your body, and then what does your body need? Same as your car, it needs fuel, right? So if you have food, then you can, you know, eat that and it generates heat and then you can dry your stuff out. Like it's, it's just like, there's just a couple fundamental things that people don't talk about, but it was foundational to the success. And when I say success, not harvesting an elk, but the success of your trip that you and your dad you know, did okay, probably kept hunting for a few days yep. and, you know, have a good story about it now. Yeah. I, I, I joke with him about the, at the, the, the end there, because like, you know, I always think, you know, growing up with my dad, you know, he's like the, you know, whatever he says, you know, it's, it's this, almost like your safe zone. You know, I was hunting with him as a kid, like he knows everything, you know, it's one of those things. And as we get older and we hunt together and, and when he kind of looked at me and gave me like, what do we do type look? I was like, Oh shit, you know, we're, we're in trouble. <laughs> well, he's still a big buck killer from Pennsylvania though. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he is. But <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was hilarious to, to see that, but yeah, we, we laugh about it now, but, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a situation and, and, and definitely I saw even more, you know, kinks in some of my things and stuff I would change. And I am a big proponent as, as I did on this trip and it just kind of solidified. It was even putting things in dry bags inside of my backpack. 
because when I take it out and I have it in my tent spread out, I don't always keep everything perfectly organized in my tent that when this stuff happens, you're not getting stuff just soaked. And I was on, you know, we're talking about the West, but these type of things can happen. Even in Pennsylvania, I went on a backpack hunt in December, um, rifle hunt for deer this past year. And it was sleet and freezing rain. And again, I set up this tent and that there was snow on the ground, a little bit of snow and I had a stove in it, but all that did was heat up everything, turn it to mud and then create condensation and came into another situation where it was wet and miserable was I, I was only, you know, three miles from the truck. I could have definitely walked back, but that's, that would have ended the hunt. That's not a, I'm not talking about a strictly survival situation. I'm talking about the, the success of the hunt, as you had said there, and, you know, just being able to kind of understand it. And I, now, now I, I kind of like seeing those different situations. I, I don't really at the time, I, I kind of bitch about it and say that, you know, it's, but, in, in, but looking back on it, you know, I learned so much from those different scenarios and I'm, I don't know. It's, it's, don't think it can't happen, whether that's, uh, you know, that applies to even whitetail hunts and, and, and different things just in a, a different level, I would say. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if, uh, you know, three miles from the truck or not, or however far you guys were in, in, in the Colorado hunt, you know, it's, it's burning vacation time. Um, it, it's going to impact the success of the hunt. So it doesn't have to be survival in the sense of, you know, life and death, but you know, if you're taking 10 days off from work and driving to Colorado, like you did for a couple years, like you want to hunt every possible day you can. And, you know, if you got wet that night and the weather cleared the next day and it's this beautiful day, like the last thing you want to do is spend precious hunting time drying all your stuff out when you could be hunting, you know, or you had to walk back to the truck from three miles in, like that's a morning potentially that you're going to give up that you may not be successful. So it's like, yeah, that's why you're mad because it's, it's costing you time. It's cutting into your, your, your margin of success. Um, you know, it's potentially costing you money because, you know, you are taking time off from work. So, you know, these are important things, you know, you could have a tag in your hand that, you know, you could, you get once every 10 years or maybe once in a lifetime. And, you know, those are the times where you're, you know, where you're, 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 you're glad that you put the time in learning some of this stuff so that, you know, you don't have to, you know, have one of those negative experiences. Yeah. So, I guess, and and what's another thing I wanted to add to that was, you know, I had heard um, when I was looking into like starting to go elk hunting, and even as I was going into it, they're like, oh, you go to a place like Colorado, it's dry, or you know, you don't need to worry as much about. I've read people's gear lists where they didn't even take rain gear, and you know, different. The, I don't know. From my experience, you don't know what you're going to get in the mountains, and and I'd rather be prepared for it than than not than to skimp, you know, a few ounces from a rain jacket or, um, you know, different different pieces there. And even like, you know, I was the one saying about the down bag. I bought that because it was lighter, and you know, and that was the, when I originally bought it six seven years ago, whatever it was, and and now I'm realizing there's depending on the situation that that might not be worth it. 
and you know going to like alaska where i don't know what kind of weather i could get i could it could be blue you'd know better than me but from what i've been told it could be bluebird sunny days for the whole trip or you could be socked into your tent for four days you don't don't really know yeah yeah up in the brooks i mean it it could easily snow every day in august um you, you just i mean i've seen it you just you just don't know um you know, I, I just people just need to know the limitations of what they've got. Leaving stuff behind or cutting a couple ounces always sounds good for the comfort of your home, right? Um, but ultimately, when you're out there, you know the four ounces that you may have saved, or let's just let's just say the the you know pound and a half or two pounds you saved not bringing rain gear all of a sudden sounds like a really foolish idea when you're 11,000 feet and it's hailing on you and then snows for the next two days. So I, I like saving weight and I think people should strive to save some weight to be efficient, but I strongly discourage saving weight at the cost of your safety. And so that's where I think experience comes in to know, you know what, rain gear is mandatory. And yeah, I'll bring the lightest rain gear I, I can afford that's actually, um, that, that works and is functional, is not just going to fall apart on me. But that's that's part of my safety margin that I'm not going to compromise on. Um, but I'll, I'll compromise somewhere else that isn't going to cost me my safety, right? So, you know, be it, um, you know, I don't need to eat three meals a day, I can eat two meals a day, or I'm going to carry three liters of water, you know, all the time in my pack and not six liters of water or, you know, there's, there's, there's ways to do it, but you can't just walk back to the truck and get your rain gear when you're eight miles in, um, when, when the storm comes in. So, you know, cut your toothbrush in half and pull <laughs> all the food out of your wrappers is, is a much, is a much better way to save some weight than leaving something behind that, that could cost you your life. Like that's, that's where you don't want to do it. You know, I went and did a, and I'll talk about it at some point, uh, on IG, but you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like I'm just beating up particular things like, like treated down. Cause I'm not, and we've got an amazing product we can talk about at the end of this coming out. All I'm saying is I want people to understand that everything's got limitations, right? And I just think it's super important to understand those limitations. So for instance, you know, and maybe this is a poor analogy. I've always got all these crazy analogies running through my head, but you know, I'm not going to go like I, I own a, I don't, but as an example, if I owned a sports car, right? Like a Porsche, like it's an awesome car, but if I start driving that Porsche, up an old logging road looking for spring black bear, like it's a pretty shitty vehicle. So I have to understand the limitations of what I've got. And then I have to understand that, Oh, I got the Porsche to the trailhead. I got to walk now because this is not the right tool for that job. Um, you know, I went and spent six months or six months. I went and spent six or seven, six days, six nights, six nights, seven days in the desert down in Arizona with Greg Krogan, and Adam Foss several years ago. And I brought rain gear. I looked at the weather. I took a gamble based on, you know, my experience and, and the history of the weather and where we were and how far away from the trailhead and all these factors. 
and I've got a picture of it, but I basically just brought a ground pad and a treated, a treated, uh, down sleeping bag and just laid in the dirt and literally just slept in glass from the same knob until we found deer and then went after him. Right. And for that type of hunt with the, with the, um, we'll call it the, the margin of error that we had built in and the, you know, the lack of, you know, any real kind of danger if we, you know, got caught in a storm or had to walk out, like that was the appropriate piece of kit for that, for that time. But I would never recommend that you take that same system. I took to Arizona up to the Brooks range to hunt caribou. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all kind of deal. And so if you just understand that and you understand some principles and you've, you know, I know you've tested your gear, um, you know, then, then you feel more comfortable doing these things, you know, cause I mean, you, you definitely have the experience to go on that trip, no doubt, but, but that's, that's not a trip that, that you just go on without any experience. Like you don't just drive two, 300 miles above the Arctic circle and go live on the North side of the Brooks range chasing caribou. If, if you've never, you know, spent a night out in your home state, be it Pennsylvania or wherever, like that's just, you're, you're just moving up in, into the big leagues there Yeah. to where, you know, weather's dynamic. You're really far away from, from help. Um, cell phones don't work there. If you don't have an inReach, you're not communicating with anybody. Um, you know, it, it could snow at any time. There's grizzly bears. Like there's just lots of stuff that, that begin to stack up. And so, you know, all those things you're worried about, man, do you really want to worry about, you know, as an example, your sleeping bag, keeping you warm or, you know, something like that. It's like, no, that's not the time to do it. That's not the time to take a brand new set of boots out and go, geez, I hope I can break these in and they don't destroy my feet. Like that's not the trip to do it on. So anyways, I'm probably going down a rabbit hole at this point, but, but that's why I just encourage people. Like, like I said, springtime is the perfect time, like spring bears or even spring turkeys or shed hunting. You know, I know some people are still locked up now. I want to, from, from the virus, I want to, I want to be a little, you know, uh, uh, conscientious there that I understand not everybody can get out right, right this second, but springtime in general is a great time to go and try all these things and, and, and have the rest of the summer to dial in your system for that, you know, once in a lifetime elk hunt that somebody's going to go on in Colorado or New Mexico this year. Yeah. And, and John, that is so right. What you're talking about, like say the springtime here every year, at least for like a weekend, I'll do during turkey season. I'll do a backpack turkey hunt. Do I need to backpack into hunt turkeys? No, I That's don't. Awesome. I can I can hunt them from the road basically and be fine. But it's the idea is I get all my gear together. I figure out all the flaws. I can write notes. It's early enough that I can change things and get to test it again. I love doing that. I'll, I'll pack a fishing pole into. I'll there's yeah. one spot I pack into next to a lake and and. Uh, and and just go and get to test everything out and and use it and see where your gaps are again write it down see i test food i test everything you know to be able to figure out kind of what's working and that's kind of like a beginning point in the spring and then kind of as you go through the summer do some other mini trips but i don't know i like to double it up with with turkey hunting well and it's fun right and it's what you've got at your disposal and it's fun to do and, you know, hunting season's only so long. So, you know, what do you do the rest of the year? It's like, these are great opportunities, be it in turkey season or just, you know, going out in the summer to go fish or, or backpack around. 
these are opportunities to try that gear out. Um, yeah, I just, you know, and, and I don't want it to come off like, I don't, listen, I, I've, I've done this for a long time, but I'm here to tell you, I make, I've made, I've probably made every mistake that's possible multiple times. Like I've screwed it up so many times and, and I'm, I'm, I own it. Like I'll, I'll tell you about it. And I plan on telling people about my mistakes, you know, going forward, but I, I'll probably make a couple more. Now I don't make as many as I used to. Right. But I also, part of my job is testing gear and, and, you know, to your point earlier with Chris, like, you know, being, being the crash test dummy that goes and tries stuff, like it's not always the funnest thing. Like you're going to have some miserable nights or you're going to have a miserable day sitting in a tree stand going, man, this strata system doesn't actually take me to minus 40. <laughs> Chris is like, yeah, I knew that, but I just wanted to make sure, yeah. you know, whatever it is. But, but, uh, but, you know, I'll make some mistakes. You'll make some mistakes, but, but as long as we learn from them, uh, that's all part of the process, man. And honestly, it makes for some really good stories, right? Yeah. So yeah, one here, and I'll I'll tell you one thing that Chris did to me that I I just remembered right now. We were up in Alberta, and he's like, you know, take these these foot warmers, put one on the bottom and one on the top of you know, your foot, and go in. I'm like, all right, yeah. Well, I put it in between. I had like a a thinner sock, and then I had a, a bigger one over top, and then these big like moon Canadian military boots that we had that were from the tree stand. So anyways, I got in there and they got so hot that I actually got chemical burns on my feet. Like my feet were on fire and it's negative degree weather and I'm up there, you know, can't, uh, I can't move because even though I'm in the woods, I'm pretty sure Jim Hole could still see me at some point and I'll try not to move or make any noise. And I'm like crying in my head because my feet hurt so damn bad. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the, the the glamorous life of a field tester, right? Yep. <laughs> it's it's uh it's not all it's cracked up to be, that's for sure. But um no, I I I just like you said that's I I get it and I like to I'd rather test out those things not on a hunt um and being able to do it ahead of time, be able to kind of figure out um your um i guess your system what works for you everyone's different everyone's in different scenarios and that's why like you know i think one of the questions i get about sika a lot is you know it's it's confusing with the amount of stuff that there is and that's where it comes down to the educational piece that there's so many different situations there's not one piece that's built for everything it's, it's or you get compromised and and that's you know uh, i think something that's well good to note yeah. And, um, so we're, we're, we're doing better on that. We got some, some initiatives rolling out that I think is going to make it a lot easier in regards to Sitka, but you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm purposely not talking about specific product or any one brand because I, I truly feel, and I, and I really mean this, that it's important that people understand why things work and how things work. And then, Wherever they live, however they hunt, whatever species they pursue, um, you know, whatever gear they like or camo pattern, as long as they understand the concepts that that allows them to be more educated in the selection and the purchases of what they put together and take into the field. Right. Um, 
Do I think we make the best stuff? Of course I do. That's why I work for the company. But there's a lot of stuff out there. I just think it's important that whatever people have, that they go and try it and understand the limitations. Because no matter what it is from whoever it's from, everything's got some limitations. Like I could say, yeah, this, this, uh, you know, this Apex hoodie is the most amazing thing for elk hunting in September. It is. But if you're going to go and sit in a tree stand when it's negative 20 or 30, whatever it was up there in, in uh, the bow zone of, of Edmonton, that's not the piece of gear that I would take up there because it's got limitations. Now, I could use it, but I would have to use it in a way to benefit a, an entire system, you know. And um, so it's really important that, that people understand the why and then just go and try the stuff. And that's where the that's where the fun comes in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And to me, like I said, it's fun to test the gear and figure it out. I mean, I probably don't need to change my kit as much as I do with things, but I just, I don't know. I like figuring out and changing it. And I just, like I said, I go to extremes with it. Even with Turkey hunting, I just laid out all my gear in the garage, uh, this weekend and went out this morning calling turkeys. I'm just, I was going out for 20 minutes. I'm still just changing things for the hike in and mixing up, you know, where I'm layering different things, putting the wind stopper closer to my skin and doing different, just different things to, to mess around with it. And for me, I, maybe not everyone's like that, but I, I like to, to be able to see what works for me and kind of learn from that. And yeah, that's like, sometimes you get some big wins out of it and sometimes it's, just a learning lesson. Yeah, you know, and when you when you when you understand that and you've tried things, you know, in in the vein of, you know, your podcast, you know, people that are that are going to come from east to west and and go hunt for whatever it is, elk, mule deer, antelope, um, you know, if they understand, you know, kind of how some of these things work, there's a good chance that they already own at least half of what they need, maybe more. And they just need maybe a few things to supplement and, 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 and wear them the, the right way to go from say Pennsylvania hunting, you know, the mountains in the, and the big timber that you do to say that the mountains in the big timber in Colorado chasing an elk. Right. I mean, it's going to be different weather and, and you're probably not going to, you know, understand that intimately like somebody who lives there but it's not like you have to completely abandon everything that you're currently using to take it out there. If you understand and, and base layers, it's like, if you have a quality base layer, like that base layer, you're going to wear year round, right? If you have rain gear and it's quality rain gear, like that's going to be something you're going to wear year round. Um, you know, maybe people, you know, I, I grew up in Ohio, but you know, maybe people do or do not own say a puffy jacket, you know, in some of the, in some of the States out East, you know that, okay. So maybe you need to buy a puffy jacket, um, you know, and some things like that, but you know, or maybe a lighter weight sleeping bag. Cause the one you have is not one that you would want to pack around, but, but as long as you understand that, put it together, man, and, and go try it in a system and, and see how it works. And then you, you know, you can tweak it. And if you start now, you've got multiple months until September when you go out there, um, or, you know, wherever you're going. But anyways, John, I, um, I think, uh, I think that's about enough for this one here. I'm, I'm sick of talking to you. 
Yeah, well, you know me. I'll just ramble on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, we covered it. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we covered a lot of ground. I'm glad we got to talk about your caribou hunt and and uh, and some new product too. Yeah, no, that's I'm, I'm pumped uh, to get you on here, and also really excited to see um, some of the stuff you're working on and putting some of you, that knowledge that's been sitting up in that brain and putting it down on paper and and being able to help others uh, read it. So I know you mentioned it earlier, but do you want to give uh, some information as far as your Instagram handle and the website where you'll have some of that out? Yeah, so on IG, um, at Jay Barklow, uh, B-A-R-K-L-O-W, at Jay Barklow. So you'll know it's me because there's probably only like six or seven posts at this point by the time this launches. And then um, now, now you're going to force me to do it. But uh, So the website will be up and running as well. It'll be uh, com, And then um, on there, the blog is called Knowledge from Storms. And so that's where I'm going to put whatever I post on, on IG, not everything, but most of that stuff will be in much longer format. So expand on the story, but really dive deep into the details of, you know, whatever the subject matter of that post is. So this, this latest one is moisture management, and then it'll just keep rolling from there. So, um, you know, and then there's contact information and stuff like that, that, that people can reach out. So yeah appreciate you you're the first man you get the exclusive i get the exclusive uh, like i can't even believe i'm like you have no idea what's going through my head right now when i say i have a website like i am literally operating at the maximum capacity of my technical know-how <laughs> you know it's i i honestly didn't expect this to to come out of you knowing from the person no, who that would? like the, your your instagram where like you'd post a picture with you and a cat and then delete the photo and the next one would come up for how many years to now well, launching a website so really quick let me let me tell you how that started both to, to tell you how technically savvy i'm not when i posted that first photo photo on ig of the cat and me and then i wanted to post the second one in the process of me trying to post the second one, I deleted the first one by mistake. And then I thought it was such a good idea. Wait a second. So I thought it was such a good idea that when I went later on, like a year later to post the third picture, I couldn't figure out how to delete the first picture. So then I freaked out because I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I do that? Like, how did I screw that up the last time? I want to do it again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like if, yeah, it's like a constant text thread with me and some of these guys at at work who are like always on IG. I'm like, how do you do that again? And they're like, bro, you just do this and this. And I'm like, okay, back that up. I don't even know what this and this is to do that. Like, <laughs> uh, but I'm figuring it out. They're they're super helpful, and I'm having fun, man. I'm learning a lot. I'm having fun, and honestly, that is my hope for the site: is that other people have fun and learn a lot. So that that's that's maybe that's a good place to leave it right there. Yeah, no, that's that's good. I'm I'm pumped to see it. And like I said, I I just didn't expect it from you before. You know, I'd be like, so what's your? You know, we'd end the podcast. But like, where can people find you? You're like, nowhere. This is it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, cool, John. As always, it's a it's a pleasure getting to talk to you here. And always uh, a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure. Yeah. So excited to see. You know this will be releasing right around probably the day when the new Sika stuff launches your website will be up and 
flowing cool. just like oh, yeah. as sure smoothly as possible. So um yeah, it'll be it'll be cool. So again, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Bo. Be sure to check out part two where I'm diving into the 2020 Sick of Gear system with John Barklow. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.